Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Episode 80 of District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with Katie Pavlich. It was pretty well received. We cracked the top 200 in Apple Podcast Wilderness Charts. We hit the 107th spot. And I've never had this happen before, but her individual episode cracked the top 150 of overall wilderness episodes on the Apple Podcast chart. So thank you guys for making it such a success. I hope you learned a lot from her and got to know her beyond her work in politics. I think you're going to enjoy today's discussion with Art Noglak really well. I like to invite people who do stuff nationally, people who do things locally here in the D.C. metro area. And Art is someone who does a lot here with respect to fly fishing. And if you're not plugged into the fly fishing community here in Washington, D.C., Art is a regular fixture. He is the store manager at the Orvis Arlington shop, where I actually got my start in fly fishing about three years ago, and I did my trout school there through them at the Rose River Farm, and took their Fly Fishing 101 course, which is a great free course to introduce yourself to casting, fly tying, and so much more. But without taking away from today's interview, I want to briefly read Art's bio for you all. So Art is the president of the Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders, which is a great group and he's going to explain more, but he comes to the DMV by way of Cleveland, Ohio, where he learned to fly fish at a very young age. Although he cut his teeth fishing for lake steelhead and smallmouth in the Midwest, he's also an accomplished trout angler. He is a store manager for the Orvis Company in Arlington, Virginia, and has spent the better part of the last decade teaching thousands of people to cast a fly rod. When he's not out fishing the Potomac or on of the nearby trout streams, you can find Art giving casting lessons at Fletcher's Boathouse, playing pickup basketball in Arlington, or burning things in his kitchen. I think you're going to enjoy what Art has to say today, especially if you're contemplating fly fishing, you want to learn more about it, and if you are interested in targeting invasive species like the snakehead, blue catfish, or carp. Here is my interview with Art Noglak. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the uh, the invite. Absolutely. It's good to catch up. I haven't spoken to you in a, in a few years, but we've kind of gone back and forth on uh, social media. But I'm glad you can talk about all things fly fishing, Orvis, D.C. fishing opportunities, and so much more. I think people are really curious uh, to learn more about that since I've hyped up all the different types of opportunities we've had here. <laughs> There's a lot to do um, in the in the D.C. metro area. <laughs> that is very true. It's so undervalued, um, but people like you can definitely showcase it better. But I wanted you to first tell our listeners how you got involved in fishing and what prompted you to 
start working with Orvis and become a manager with Orvis? Yeah. So um, I've been fishing since a very young age. My father was a, um, a fisherman and, um, you know, I grew up in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and the uh, had access to a lot of the different tributaries of the uh, of Lake Erie specifically, um, kind of right in the backyard. And, and so, um, you know, at, at age 10 or 12, I, I, I would see, you know, my father and I would go fishing for smallmouth bass and for the anadromous steelhead that would come in and out of the lake. Um, and I would see these people fly fishing. And, um, so I really, I really wanted badly to, to learn. So I, I got into fly fishing around age 12, um, and really have been doing it ever since. And, and, um, you know, Orvis was just kind of always one of the places that, uh, you know, we sort of, I sort of shopped, um, uh, you know, we had access to an Orvis, um, or an Orvis dealer, uh, in our area that, that I used to shop at. And that was kind of like our, one of our local, local businesses. And so through, um, through just exposure to the brand in that way, um, is why I decided to, you know, kind of come on board and, and make it my career. And did you have any other background in it or you just immediately went into, uh, working for Orvis? Did you have some steps along the way? Did you do anything fisheries related? Um, as that sort you just naturally went to it after you discovered the store? Yeah, I just, I just kind of, you know, I had a lot of, um, uh, you know, I had some retail and some service industry experience, um, and some management experience prior. Um, you know, I'd also kind of moonlighted as, uh, as a guide and, um, some, some things of that nature. So it was just kind of a, it seemed like a really good fit for me. I could, I could, you know, pursue my, my passions in the, in the service industry and, and utilize my skills in retail. Um, and also, you know, pursue my fat passion of fishing at the same time. So it just seemed like a great, a great fit. <clears throat> Excellent. Yeah. We were talking as we began the podcast about why the DC Metro area is actually a really good place for fishing, especially fly fishing, because people think of this area, our proximity to Congress, all these different things, the Pentagon and structures, and people think, oh gosh, I don't know if there's any fishing in DC. And I, I probably was like that before I moved here, but as a transplant, you you definitely understand too that uh, if you live here long enough, you're gonna discover places. But why do you think this metro area is kind of undersold? And what types of opportunities for people who are unaware um, can they pursue? So, you know, I would I would start I would kind of preface by saying it's it's not just that it's undersold. It's it's grossly inappropriate how little, you know, people realize how how great of a, of a, a fishery the D.C. metro area is. And, um, you know, the reality is, is, is the, the tidal Potomac River, which is our nature's river that runs right through the D.C. metro area, um, is one of the largest spawning grounds for many anadromous species that spend their time out in the ocean for most of their lives and then come into the, the river systems to spawn. And it just so happens that um, the the Potomac has many of these species. So, you know, things like striped bass and, and, and our shad, um, both American shad and hickory shad, those are those are in the river certain times of years and and you can access those uh, those species very easily and and it's readily available to the to the end user beyond that 
we have pretty good just inland sort of fisheries in inside of the uh, inside of the beltway as well in the way of like you know lakes and ponds and um and streams and and, and that sort of thing the uh uh you know the one of my favorite things to do is uh to fish like the CNO Canal, um, which is a which is a great resource, um, or the Tidal Basin, where you know you can literally walk along the the nation's monuments, i.e. the the Jefferson, and you have the Washington Monument behind you in the background, and you can catch, uh, you know, fish right in your backyard that people would gladly drive miles and miles, or even get on an airplane um, to to partake in. So. It's a it's a phenomenal resource, and I think it's it's heavily underrated. Yeah, and I think you could easily go to prime trout fishing within an hour and a half if you go to Western Maryland. Uh, I think you can go like within thirty minutes if you want to try some urban trout fishing too. And then I think we're like three and a half to four hours to the coast. So people forget that you can just hop in a car. Obviously, once coronavirus has subsided, <laughs> and you can you can try saltwater uh, fly fishing or fishing in general too. People people don't realize that a lot of people here tend to go a little bit to to get some fishing action in. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, actually, you know, within. And then, of course, Western Maryland, like you like you discussed for for trout fishing, but also, you know, just an hour, an hour and a half or so. And you're in the Shenandoah National Forest, too. So um, and then and then within 45 minutes to an hour, you're in prime water in West Virginia. Um, So you can do, you know, trout and smallmouth bass and muskie fishing and, um, you know, anadromous fish in our tidal waters and all of these different like it's amazing the variety of species that we have at our at our fingertips. You know, in my work, I've done a lot of traveling, um, you know, to different places in the country, especially out west. And, you know, some of those those uh, people that live in the states of Montana and Wyoming and, and some of the people I know would kill to have access to the variety of, of fishing that we that we have species. <clears throat> yeah, they, they certainly are envious of us at times. Sure. <laughs> but also one cornerstone species and fish that everyone loves to talk about, and I think you guys have been pushing uh, the shad run too, but is the American shad um, over the years, it's kind of become increasingly scarce, but a lot of people are really excited about um, trying to see its return and, and ensure its return. I haven't yet fished for shad, but I know we're in the middle of the shad run. Could you talk about that phenomenon, why this species is so important for just the region as a whole and why people get excited about fishing for shad? So absolutely. I, I think first and foremost, what, what has to be understood about shad is our nation's fish, the American the American shad, right? It's not the trout. It's not the bass. It's the American shad. Most people in the country, myself included, before I really moved here, thought of a shad as like a small kind of bait fish, something you would use for bait. <laughs> um, these fish that come out of the Atlantic into our tributaries to spawn um, are actually much larger. So uh, that American shad, you know, they the Americans and the hickory shad, you know, they they kind of run anywhere from, you know, 12 inches all the way up to, you know, 24 inches, and they can be measured in pounds. Um, and they come in in great numbers. And um, certain times of year, typically, you know, between late March and and early May, um, 
these fish are in our tidal, the tidal Potomac system from Little Falls all the way down to the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and you can catch them in great numbers. So a good example would be like, you know, if you're out and you have gone an hour and you haven't caught 25 shad, it's pretty quiet. Um, you know, so this, this is something where, you know, you could have, you could easily have days if you committed to it, to catching a hundred fish and they're very feisty, you know, they pull line and they jump, um, and they give, they give quite the fight. So they're extremely popular and it's just sort of part of the culture of fly fishing in DC or in the DMV for that matter. Um, and kind of the epicenter of that is Fletcher's Cove. Yes. Uh, please talk about Fletcher's Cove. Yeah, so Fletcher's Cove is in northwest D.C., um, just outside of Georgetown off of Canal Road. And, um, you know, there's a long storied history about about Fletcher's Cove, and, and um, it dates back to the, the Native Americans used that as a, as a fishing ground, and they've done archaeological digs there. So there's this great rich history about, you know, shad fishing at Fletcher's Cove. Um, it's recently come under some, um, you know, it, it's sort of, let me digress. It's sort of the main access point. Um, and one of the best places on the river to recreate on the Potomac, right? So, um, Fletcher's boathouse is rents, uh, rowboats that you can take out these iconic wooden rowboats that you can take out, um, and, and enjoy the, enjoy the river. Um, and you can use them for fishing and they have, they also have kayaks and paddle boards and that, that sort of thing. Um, unfortunately it's kind of in danger. There's a, uh, there's a, a sediment issue, um, which is a result of some, uh, some man-made structures that were left over from when they built the Metro. Um, these things were allegedly illegally dumped in that cove. Uh, sort of the debris from the the digging and whatnot. And it's created this sediment issue where unfortunately, like we're losing access to that, to that cove um, and, and actively looking for solutions to resolve it so that they can continue to allow uh, access to the river and, and rent boats. <clears throat> so it's, it's, uh, it's a great place and it's sort of the epicenter of fishing in DC but unfortunately, it's 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 kind of an ecological disaster <clears throat> at this time. What what is being done to help resolve that issue? Sure. Currently, so, so there's a um, there's a nonprofit organization um, called Friends of Fletcher's Cove, and uh, Friends of Fletcher's Cove is working with donors and and um, Congress and DC and Virginia and Maryland um, to try to save the cove and so they're looking for various solutions on you know where the sediment can be moved to can it be taken out on a barge can we dredge it as a temporary you know fix to allow um, uh, access to continue moving forward. So there's a lot of short-term and long-term solutions. Um, and many companies have donated. Um, we have a, a hashtag, hashtag save the cove right now is, is what's, uh, what's trending, but people can get involved by donating to friends of Fletcher's Cove or just spreading the word or actually even just patron patronizing the, um, uh, the, the area and, and drawing attention to it. So, um, 
Mike Bailey is uh, is the guy leading the leading the charge, um, and he's the president of that organization. I'm also the president of an organization called Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders, um, and we advocate on behalf of the Tidal Potomac River um, and uh, and specifically, you know, access access to the the river recreation. Um, the National Capital of Trout Unlimited um, is also highly involved in the in the project, um, and so our three organizations, along with some others, um, Coastal Conservation Association, uh, the the uh, Potomac River Smallmouth Club, um, we're all sort of partnering um, to do some some different things that, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID nineteen, have have been put on hold to help support the the cove. <clears throat> Yeah, and in addition to the conservation work that you the organization does, the Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders, you guys host fly cast or fly tying events. Excuse me, I think at uh, Arlington, what's the restaurant? It escapes me, but I've gone to a few of them before. You guys also have like social events too. Is that a good way to build camaraderie on and off the water too? Uh, what is the scope of uh, besides the conservation work that you guys do? So the Tidal Potomac Fly Riders, we are um, we're a 501c3 organization. Um, we've been around for 12 years, and we are a charter club and subsidiary of a larger organization called uh, the Federation of Fly Fishers International, um, or FFI. Um, and what we do as an organization is we, you know, obviously, A, we advocate, as I said, on, on behalf of the Potomac River and access, but we're largely an education organization. So once a month, we um, host what we call casting churches on the second Sunday of every month. And we've been doing those for many years where it's completely open to the public. Anyone can show up and we'll teach you how to, whether you're an absolute beginner or you're an advanced student, we have you know, some of the most accomplished instructors from all over the area um, who can show up and get free lessons. Right. Um, and and so we do that once a month. And we also do what's called a beer tie once a month. These beer ties, um, we started these about 12 years ago, and they've they've actually uh, become so popular that just about every fly fishing club out there worldwide now does some kind of beer tie. Um, I'm not going to claim that we were the 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 first ones to do it, but others have credited us with being amongst the first ones to ever do these, these beer ties. Um, so to your point, it is a phenomenal social uh, uh, event that you, not only can you come and, and get free fly tying lessons where we have um, instructors there at Whitlow's bar on Wilson and Clarendon. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second Monday of every month, uh, uh outside of this coronavirus crisis, obviously, um, you get free fly tying instruction, or it's just a great way to build camaraderie amongst other anglers in the, or other anglers or like-minded people in the area that, that share the same interests. So you don't even have to like t- to tie flies just to, you know, come and have a beer, um, you know, and a, and a burger and just sit down and meet, meet some people. <clears throat> yeah. I've neglected on coming. I promised Rob Snow it that I would and others, but it's just with all this kind of coming down, I had to put it back on the back burner, but I'm hoping once everything kind of calms down, I can come back. Yeah. It's, <laughs> they're they're, they're it's great. Fun. You know, the, um, you know, they'll run, we'll, we'll have like anywhere from, I, I don't know, 50 to 120 people that, that come to them and, and, uh, depending on, you know, the time of year and what we're doing. So it's, uh, it's an excellent, excellent time. <clears throat> 
Indeed it is. Something that people learn when they've come to fish in this region for a while is that we have a lot of invasive species. And that has a negative connotation to most people because they think these species are dangerous. They come at the expense of other novel species or species that are kind of native to the region. And they certainly do cause a lot of destruction, namely like the snakehead, carp. I think blue catfish is now a a big commodity that restaurants want (laughs) anglers to get. And then I think you mentioned black drum or drum. Uh, But talk about invasives and why people shouldn't discount fishing for them and how they can do their part to help kind of cull their numbers by fishing for them. So this is a really good question, and and I often do, um, you know, I do a, a carp presentation on fly fishing for carp that I've been doing for years, and and I talk a lot about this in the in the presentation. Invasive species is such an overused um, uh, and misappropriated term. So um, I, I always give the parallel to the brown trout. Okay, so the brown trout is not native to the Americas, right? Nor especially the the continental U.S. Um, It was introduced. uh, uh, It was introduced here and is responsible for the death and decimation of countless species, to include some of our native trout species like brook trout and cutthroat and things like that on the on the west coast. Um, But unfortunately, this this European fish, um, which is a very serious predator um, is coveted, right? It's coveted as this, you know, that's this species that um, we all want to target. And I love catching brown trout, by the way. It's one of my favorite. Um, but in a very similar way, um, things like carp were actually introduced here intentionally um, as a as a food source. Um, I, I believe uh, the research shows they were introduced in Baltimore. Um, after the after the uh, the Great Depression, um, and they're everywhere. But to call them, you know, invasive, I, I can understand why one might consider some of these fish, i.e., you know, snakehead, to be invasive. But if you look at some of the research, specifically with the snakehead, um, leading biologists um, um, have have discovered that these things aren't as bad as as we you know once once thought um and and they don't you know i'm not going to say that they don't harm the they don't harm the ecosystem but they're not going to like crawl out of the river and eat your dog and you know they're not you can't walk across them when they're when they're in the river and the and the and the thing is is the angler attitude has changed on some of these fish so much where um the the Virginia Inland Fisheries Department, who I've seen, I've seen presentations that they've given, say that actually now people call, and it's more likely that they'll call and ask them to put limits on the snakehead so that people would stop taking and killing so many of them um, mm. because they've become such an attractive, attractive game fish. Um, and that's actually a quote from from Virginia. Um, so the, the point is, is although, you know, the blue cat is actually a very terrible invasive species that does much more damage than any of the other ones we've discussed. Um, and that's kind of that blue catfish is kind of public enemy number one, uh, for the department of, of Virginia, um, inland, inland fisheries. Um, but the reality of the situation is, is that some you you have to change your attitude and once you change your attitude you really open up uh, uh 
your different places that you can you can recreate right so when you come to discover that carp fishing is a ton of fun and it's very challenging and they're an extremely worthy target and in fact that uh the carp is actually the most popular game fish in the world hands down it's kind of like uh soccer here in the united states it's the biggest sport in the world everywhere else but we just don't seem to get it um carp is actually that game fish in the rest of the rest of the world so once you change your attitude all of a sudden hey I have this great big fish that I can sight fish for that's extremely challenging um, and worthy of my time, and I can find it basically anywhere I go. Um, once you start to change your attitude, you really open up your your um, your repertoire of places that you can go. The same with the snakehead, um, and and I think uh, I think because they're here, and I'm not saying we shouldn't you know be be taking necessary steps to get rid of invasive species, but I feel like we can do that and use uh, use them as a resource for recreation at the same time. Take some pressure off of our wild uh, wild trout streams, right? <clears throat> Yeah, they're really fun to target, like you said, and some are actually quite delicious. I got to sample some snakehead last year, and it was actually surprisingly tastier than I thought it was. (laughs) I I think it's the best tasting fish that you can you can get around here personally. That's that's a very high claim. Interesting. I wanted to move on to and a little bit segueing back to Orvis. And I really am glad that you mentioned this to me of something that we should discuss, but the 50-50 on the water campaign that Orvis headquarters has been pushing. And it's about, for those of you who are unfamiliar and don't really do much of fly fishing but are interested, it's a kind of women's empowerment initiative to to encourage more women to get to the sport. It doesn't mean um, 50% of women are going to be uh, involved in fly fishing, but it's an amiable goal or that they want like an over powering, I guess, not overpowering, but a um, kind of like women to overtake fly fishing in a sense. But Art, why don't you describe the initiative a little, little bit more for our listeners? But a lot of people kind of think, okay, what is this? But I think uh, the number shouldn't dissuade people from supporting it. No, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, this is an interesting topic and is sometimes a very hot, a hot button issue. But as somebody who's spent um, the better part of my life as a, as a male, either a working in a fly shop or be um, frequenting a fly shop, um, you know, I can tell you that there, there's been, you know, a lot of barriers in this sport um, for anybody, uh, but especially, especially women. You know, we're talking about a, a sport that um, used to be a very elitist uh, kind of old boys club um uh, you know, that was kind of strictly for the, for the wealthy. Um, and, and even as a young per, a young male who was interested in the sport, my initial experiences were very, you know, closed off and, and I didn't felt, feel, uh, you know, welcome as much, uh, in, into the sport as I could have. Um, and, you know, I know that a lot of female anglers who, who I'm friends with and who have been or very accomplished and have done a lot in, in this sport and in this industry had very similar uh, experiences when, when they came in. And, um, you know, I think the, the attitude for, for women in the outdoors in, in general, and Gabby, I know you, you've covered a lot of this type of thing I've seen in your social media, um, you know, that, that is, is changing and it's changing for the better. Um, 
And I think it's extremely important to just, um, you know, obviously there's still a lot of work to do in, in that arena. Um, but my call out is more, you know, to, to ladies to understand like we're, we're, you know, mistakes have been made before in this industry and it's been very unwelcoming and people, you know, would look at, you know, when a, when a woman would walk into a, a, a fly shop, they, you know, somebody would just make the assumption that maybe they were shopping for their boyfriend or I have seen and heard every story you could, you could imagine over the years as an advocate for, for this campaign. Um, but you know, my, my, what I would like to reach out is to the, is to women and, and, you know, encourage them to come back and to sort of, you know, uh, if they've been turned down in the past to give the industry another chance and whether that's shopping at Orvis or, or somewhere else, um, you know, come back and take advantage of some of the, the, the classes and the events, um, many of which, most of which are free, um, and sort of give, give fly fishing or, or the outdoors another chance. If you've, if you've been burned, um, you know, sort of that social movement is, uh, is becoming uh, more of the rule and 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 not so much the uh, not so much the exception. Um, you know, the other thing is 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 that you know many many of my lady my my fly lady friends, um, as I like to call them, um, you know, they don't want to be treated to necessarily to some you know, kind of girly ladies only, you know, have a, uh, have a wine party and learn to, to fly fish. Some of them want to be treated, you know, exactly like, uh, uh, you know, every, everybody else. And, and, you know, um, so, uh, I understand that side of it, uh, that side of it as well, but I've also heard, you know, many stories where you have, um, you know, ladies that, you know, maybe their, their husbands or, significant others don't want them, you know, on a, on a fishing trip with a, where they're the only woman and, and a bunch of guys. And so there's, you know, um, there's classes and trips and events that are, that are, you know, uh, out there from Orvis and others that, that do offer a ladies only. Everybody has their own sort of unique roadblock of why, um, they've had issues with this, with the sport or breaking into certain things. And I, I think that, um, you know, I think I can honestly say that I've seen many, um, if not most of those barriers just breaking down all around and, and women in, in the least the sport of fly fishing, um, have skyrocketed and I can't give you a, a number, but I can tell you anecdotally as somebody who's been boots on the ground in this world for most of my adult life, um, it's a very positive energy that we have right now. And, and there are a lot of, um, of, of women, uh, turning to turning to fly fishing. It's just, it's phenomenal to see. <clears throat> Yeah, it's really encouraging. And I think for me, it was just maybe I was stubborn and wanting to learn. And I was a little intimidated about having to tie flies, try different things for different streams and different target species. So for me, it was just like, oh, my gosh, can I factor all this in? And it wasn't really so much discouraging words from men, although I've met a few guys along the way who are kind of stingy, but most people have been very welcoming, but I have noticed that too. And a lot of my friends have noted that as well. And a friend of mine, I don't know if you know my friend Debbie Hansen, but she has been really 
uh, encouraging about like, you should pick up fly fishing. It's not as difficult. And you see a lot of women like her who are kind of leading the charge and getting more women, not simply just to do women's only events, but even to kind of fish alongside men or, uh, kids or things of that sort, but to, to have tailored experiences in fly fishing. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, there's absolutely no advantage or disadvantage to being a man or a woman in the sport of fly fishing at all, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't tell you why it, it, it has had that sort of boy club, you know, connotation over the years. Um, I think that, uh, anyone and everyone's welcome. Fly fishing is fun. It's easy. It's accessible. Anybody can do it. I, I've taught thousands of people how to fly fish over the years at various skill levels. And, you know, if you take one of the Orvis Fly Fishing 101 classes, at the end of the class, you'll learn to cast a fly rod. You'll learn to tie the basic knots you need to know. You'll, you'll learn about the equipment and uh, what the bare essentials are that you that you need. And by the end of it, you you will be able to go out and catch a fish on your own in a, in a local pond or, or a lake or, or a river. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't require, you know, years of experience or hours uh, and hours reading and, and educating yourself to just go out and have fun and be successful. <clears throat> That is very true. I've learned that you could find not loopholes, but a little easier shortcuts to access and to not spend a killing <laughs> when you're yes. trying to take this up. Because I'm I'm used to kind of a traditional fishing framework. I've done a lot of bait casting for much of my life and some spin casting as well. So trying to learn how to add this to your repertoire can be challenging, uh, but it's not impossible. So I'm glad you you shared that really critical update because I think you see, you, like you said, a lot of women I've seen it on social media, I've met more people, especially women who are doing this and really liking it and really wanting to pick it up. So it, it really is happening and, and it's a good, ch good change. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah. And kind of back to uh, Orvis Arlington. I took a trout school with you guys and I've taken the Orvis 101. And I know some people may not like the Orvis framework. They may be more partial to different shops. And there are a lot of great independent shops locally too, um, as well. But uh, when I took that trout school at Rose River Farm, I really got a feel for uh, incorporating all the skills we had learned from Fly Fishing 101 and just the other clinics that uh, customers can partake in there. But talk about what the store in particular offers for those who want to learn how to fly fish here in the DC metro area too, and ranging from the trout school to the different clinics and what you guys may be offering. And if you're offering virtual uh, type of clinics. Sure. So, um, you know, this year, as an example, in the past, our stores in the DC metro area, um, you know, and it's not just Arlington, we have one in Tyson's, one in Leesburg, one in Woodbridge, one in Bethesda. Um, we've offered various things. So uh, we've actually had the 101 class, which you talked about, which is a free two hour course. Um, we follow up with a free 201 class, which is, um, you know, out on a, a, a local lake or, or, a, or a local stream or pond. And, and it's also two hours and you get some basics. We even have some free uh, 301 classes or come fish with us events where we'll just meet on a local part of the Potomac or um, 
or a, or a stream or river in the or lake in the area. Um, and then beyond that, we have uh, schools, uh, which is similar to the one you took. Um, Arlington, unfortunately, because of COVID-19, our, our season's sort of somewhat mm, probably on hold, at least, I would say. Uh, some things might be canceled. Some things might not be. Um, but, uh, you know, we've done trips to, you know, the Shenandoah um, and various, like, brook trout schools and trout schools we've done uh, we had some plans for uh, uh doing a school with a local orvis endorsed guide up on the gunpowder this year to learn how to fish for, for brown trout um i've done a lot of hosted trips over the years as well where i'll take people to a destination so um examples of that um are uh you know recently within the last couple of years i did like south holston river lodge um a very good friend of mine john hooper um runs runs that lodge and that guide service uh and so east tennessee is is one of my favorite places on the east coast to fish um i've done major groups uh up to the catskills um it, where we would fish at uh, the west branch of the delaware at west branch angler um i've done trips to Western Maryland to fish the North Branch of the Potomac and the Savage. I've taken people to Montana um, to fish with uh, my friend Tim Linehan, who who owns a company called Linehan Outfitting Company up in the Yak Valley in, in Northwest Montana, um, and and various things of the like. You know, we offer trips to Belize and Mongolia and anywhere, you know, anywhere and everywhere you could, you could think of. So whether you want to learn to fish for panfish in your backyard, or you want to go to Mongolia to catch a taman, um, which is like a trout. Correct. Yeah, actually it's a, well, it's a, I think it's a salmonoid technically. A salmonoid. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it is, it is a salmonoid of some kind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can, we can get you there and we can get you there right out of the shop, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's, there's something different for everyone at, at various skill levels, tying classes. Um, you know, we do those as, as well, 101, 201, 301, we do private lessons, casting. Um, and then currently as it stands, Orvis, uh, at the corporate level are doing these great, if you follow them on Instagram, if you follow Orvis fly fishing on Instagram, they're doing these great virtual podcasts and as well as, uh, uh fly tying sessions, um, and, uh, title Potomac fly rotters right now we're doing, um, tying Tuesdays. So every Tuesday at 7 PM, uh, you can, uh, tune in and, um, do a, a Google meets group with us. Um, we did our first one last night and it was a great success and we're going to feature different tires with different patterns. So, uh, next week we're going to be tying a pattern that, um, I've used many years for all kinds of different species, um, called the gum gouger. And it's a, uh, it's like a little crayfish pattern. Um, and you can find that by going to TPFR's Instagram page, um, and clicking the link in the bio and, and signing up for that. I'll include that in the show notes for people to follow and bookmark. Uh, let's say someone is listening. They've never tried fly fishing at all. What tips would you prescribe to them and offer them if they're curious to get involved, if they feel intimidated, uh, they feel that they don't have the experience level, they can't afford things, what, what tips would you have for them? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, if, if, first of all, don't be, don't be intimidated. Um, and, and I shouldn't say don't be intimidated because the, the reality is, is you're going to be intimidated by, or some people will be intimidated by everything that they do to some level. Um, and it, and I should say it's completely okay to be intimidated. Um, come to a group class, uh, and come to one of the free fly fishing 101 classes or, or join us at, um, at uh, Casting Church with TPFR at Fletcher's um, the second Monday of every month from 8 a.m. to 11. We provide all the equipment for you. Um, You are not the only first-timer there, so you're there amongst friends. Um, And just try it out. And and I think think most people um, find it to be very fun. Uh, I don't... um, I don't think that, and then as far, you know, if price is an issue, what's great is Orvis gives people excellent coupons um, that they can put towards that are pretty substantial discounts that they can put towards their first purchase. But, you know, even if that's too expensive, um, you know, you can, you can honestly find things on Craigslist and flea markets and, um, uh, you know, Facebook markets that, you know, people are selling their, their used and, and, you know, hand-me-down type, uh, uh, fishing gear and you can get it pretty, pretty inexpensive and you don't need much to, to get started. Um, you know, a rod, a reel, a line, handful of flies, um, and some leader and some tippet and you're out having fun. Sound pieces of advice. Do you have any uh, final parting thoughts for the listeners? Anything else you want to plug in? Um, no, I think uh, I, I think that's it. Where can people connect with you uh, if they want to connect with you? They liked what they heard. They want to get involved locally here, or maybe you can direct them to other orbices across the country. Because I do have a little bit of a listenership outside of our metro area too, which is pretty cool. But where can uh, people connect with you and learn more about what Orvis has to offer? So um, you know, you can reach me at Orvis Arlington, and in, in any way, um, usually, usually the quickest way to get me actually is president at tpfr.org. That's title Potomac Fly Rotters or tpfr.org. You can get me directly. Um, or you can call me at the shop at Orvis Arlington. Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Orvis Arlington or uh, title Potomac Fly Rotters. Um, and uh, there's lots of great Orvis stores and ways to reach out to Orvis all across the country. Um, I think right now, one of the best things you could do is, is go back and listen to the Orvis podcasts um, that uh, my friend and colleague Tom Rosenbauer does. Um, those are extremely informative and have been around a long time and are amongst, if not the most popular podcast in the sport. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's it right right now. Unfortunately, that's it right now in the in the midst of this crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we will definitely be in touch because I would love to do some more filming and obviously maybe getting more time on the water. But I really would love to kind of capture the shad uh, story a bit more and all that. But we will definitely have to get together once this all blows over uh, and then talk some fishing. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. If you enjoyed our podcast today, make sure you're following us to never miss a beat and never miss outdoor guests like Art. We can be found on basically most 
prominent podcast platforms, especially Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and just about anywhere where podcasts are played. If you like what you heard today, make sure to leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, especially. That is our biggest trafficker of podcast listenership. And the more views we get there, the more we can try to climb the Apple Podcast Wilderness charts. We're also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So you will be able to preview some guests, see some past episodes we've had, topic discussions, and more. Thank you for listening, and I hope you find some way to go outdoors even in this time of the pandemic. I have another episode for you all next Monday with Diana Moeller of the DC Project. You're not going to want to miss it.